to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. Hi, I'm Michael Ewald, host of Credit Hour. Today, in preparation for one of USD's most favorite traditions, Dakota Days, we interview USD Athletic Director David Herbster about championship culture and what he thinks makes a good leader. David, how are you doing this morning? Well, it's D-Days week, right? <laughs> so everything's going great. So I'll say this to you. Happy D-Days. <laughs> yep, happy D-Days. You know, one of the things that you hear in, in pop culture, I think, is this kind of focus on championship culture. Um, you know, obviously, I think its relevancy with sports is pretty obvious. But you know, championship culture, this phrase seems to you know go in, in different fields, in business. What is championship culture? And is this something that USD strives to live up to? I think championship culture is... Can be defined a lot of different ways, but what we, what we look at it here is winning, uh, winning the right way, uh, and not just on the field or in competition. It's got to be about winning in the classroom, winning in the dorms, winning on campus, and winning in the community. So it's really about growth. It's about empowerment. Uh, it's about setting expectations, uh, holding people accountable, and providing them the resources to be successful. And all of that plays together. And so some programs have it, some don't. Uh, some departments have it, some don't. But I do think it's something that everybody strives for. I, you know, I don't think people strive to be mediocre. You, you want to strive to be the absolute best that you can be. You know, does leadership uh, start at the top? Is it a is it a cultural phenomenon? I mean, when you have to hire a new leader, a new coach, let's say, what are some of the characteristics that you're looking for, you know, in a leader of young people? You've got to find someone that certainly can relate to the students, uh, someone who understands expectations, someone who has, and what I look for personally is I look for someone who's in their past has been successful, someone who has built programs, somebody who has won, hopefully on multiple levels. You look at someone who, in their track record, and this is where you really have to dig deep a little bit, is you really need to look at what has been the progression of their teams, what has been the the moniker of those particular teams. Um, you want someone who uh, can win, win with class, especially with coaches. Probably the last box they ever have to check for me is would I let you coach my kids? And you've got to understand that the people that you bring into your program are responsible for in, from anywhere from 10 to 100 students and those students are someone else's baby and so they've got to understand that athletics plays a, a large role of why they're coming here but it's a small part of their development what they're going to turn out to be in the next 40 to 50 years you know you said you know you want people to win the right way what does that mean to you to me it is having student athletes that come in here um, and certainly excel athletically but also excel in the classroom i want us to be able to prepare them to be leaders and better fathers better mothers, better brothers, better sisters. So they've got to look at how you're going to grow somebody, not just increasing their bench press or how fast they can run or how high they can jump. We're, we're charged with their development as a person, as a human, and really bringing them into adulthood the four or five years that we have them here. You know, that kind of leads me right into my next question. And, and you mentioned this a little bit, you know, I think the ultimate test of leadership is leading other leaders, right? I mean, how do you prepare, um, you know, whether it's players on the field or, you know, some of the, I think, community work that, that a lot of our student athletes do, you know, out in the community being role models. I mean, uh, how do you prepare, you know, these young people to take leadership positions and, and you know, kind of run with it? I mean, it, it must be a little bit daunting when they have, you know, school and other responsibilities. I mean, 
what do you think the keys are there? Boy, that's a that's a good one because I think with each program it'll be a little bit different. Just if, if I reflect back and look at our own sports, there's different time commitments involved, uh, whether it be golf or swimming uh, or football, let's say. I think they all look at providing them opportunities outside of athletics and outside of the classroom to give a little bit more of themselves because sport allows you to do that. In some circles and depending on the audience, uh, you're going to be looked upon differently than just a tr- normal or traditional student because you play a sport. The people aren't any different. It's just what what that particular audience views. So um, it's a, an incredible balancing act that we have to have with making sure that we provide them enough opportunity in the classroom to be successful, uh, that we provide the training and the practice time for them to be successful in the competition. But that tough one is the community aspect or having and helping, helping them grow. So it, while sometimes it's not a daily uh, conversation with them, it's how, they, how our coaches coach and how we and what we expect of them that really starts to set that example. And then we've got to filter that in and provide opportunities for them um, outside of competition to be able to give back. You know, you had mentioned the differences between the sports. That was one thing that I wanted to maybe discuss. I mean, do you notice, is there you know different practices or different thought processes when you have a coach who's, uh, you know, coaching a traditional team sport, maybe like basketball, where, you know, you, you kind of have to have a, a good culture because you got to have the person pass the other ball, but also something like track where, you know, on face, it might not necessarily seem like a team sport, but obviously, you know, the culture that that team has, you know, ability for teammates to lift up emotionally, uh, mentally people when, when they might be struggling. I mean, how do, you know, sports that people might think, you know, are individualistic, like golf, how is the team concept relevant to them in a lot of cases uh with golf you are it's your score i mean it's your 18 holes it's your 36 holes whatever it is and that's the score but in most cases that score bleeds into the overall how the team does in a particular tournament so everybody has to kind of hold their own if you will so um, let's say golf for instance uh, you typically you enter five into a tournament and the top four score swimming let's for instance if i'm just doing the 100 meter medley and the 200 butterfly well those are my only two events but those two events are important to the overall team score our coaches do a good job of uh, not only reinforcing that but but that's where you really get, and in coming to some of the events, uh, if you've ever been into the pool for a swim meet, it gets awfully loud in there because the teams uh, are cheering for those that are swimming at any point in time and because th- that event, those points are important uh, for the overall team score. So, you know, track is an interesting one, right? Because I always look at that, that to me, it seems like it's 12 different sports on one team. You know, if you talk about throws and you talk about distance and you talk about the jumps and all those different things, but for so often, while they might be training, you know, if you're throwing the hammer and the discus, you're training kind of off in this, your, your own little area. But if you're in the weight room or when you travel or when they have team meetings, they're all together. And our coaches do a really good job of making sure they understand there is no I in team. It's a team sport when it all comes right down to it. And uh, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Not to belabor this point, but I especially think, you know, when we talk about track, I mean, I, I just think that in a lot of ways, you know, with some of our athletes, they're not trying to necessarily beat even their opposition. They're more focusing on their own score, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what is the, the mental process of that, you know, goes into it when you're not trying to, you know, beat someone ac- across the, the court from you or on the other side of the field, but it's sort of that mental aspect, right, where you, you kind of have to beat yourself maybe, or I, I don't know of a way to phrase it. I mean, is there a kind of a, a different 
mental approach that our student athletes take when you know they're competing in an individual event than when you know their opponent might be across the field from them right you know there's some of the team sports if it's if you're talking about a wide receiver and a, and a cornerback i mean that wide receiver's job is to beat that cornerback there's always games within the game um, and as a former athlete I, I there was always games within the game that you played uh, they could be mental games or physical games and it's just kind of part of understanding the flow of the game too with track let's say um, or with some of those sports you're right you're not necessarily competing like mano y mano because it's not like you have one if you're in the long jump one person is trying to tackle you when you're doing the <laughs> long jump right but it does come down to your own personal drive so uh, if I'm a long jumper and my longest jump is, I'm going to get this one wrong, 22 and a half feet, right? 24, 24 feet. I know what my mark is. That focus is to do better than what I know my personal best is. Or in some cases, we'll have uh, in track, let's say you've got qualifying marks to get to the NCAA regionals. Well, your goal is to get to that qualifying mark. So while you can be focused on that, it's also under the umbrella of the team, itself so and believe me there's going to be times when there's going to be athletes that focus more on themselves than in the team and that's that's kind of the nature of it and that's where the coaches really step in and if that becomes problematic for the team uh, that they'll step in and have conversations and those are those are what are kind of teachable moments you know you kind of talked about the game within a game i feel like i hear this phrase a lot right don't focus necessarily on the result but focus on the process um what does that what does that phrase mean to what is it what is it intending to try to get athletes um, to do? When you're really focusing on the process, it's how do you win? And it can be as simple as throwing further than the next person, right? But in the, especially in those team sports, it's the process of being a team, understanding that not one person is more important than the other. It's accepting your role and it's accepting everybody else's role. Uh, it's understanding how one person can benefit another, how how integral all the pieces need to be to work together uh, in order to, to win. And so, you know, it, when that happens, that's when you have some pretty incredible incredible moments happen as far as a team goes, whether it's when the women's basketball team won the WNIT championship. And that was just a selfless group that they didn't care who got the credit. Uh, all the glory kind of went to the team, right? right. And that's, they, they really put the team above their own personal accomplishments. And that can be a tough thing to get a coach to get a team to buy into. You know, this is a topic that I don't think any of us like to focus on too much, but, you know, how does a, a good coach deal with failure? How does a good coach help, you know, players deal with losing? Right. It's, you know, I, I guess I look at it, you know, you can win and you can lose, but you can win. And if you don't win, you find ways to get better. And, you know, when you step into the ring, and this is something as a, as a parent as well that I've had to teach my own children about is it's you're, you're, if you're going to step into the field of competition, you're going to have to understand that there are two results that can come of this. You're going to win or you're going to lose. And if you're going to lose, then why? I, I always try to make sure that you know, especially when they're young, they look to blame others. And I always say, anytime you point a finger at somebody, there's three fingers pointing right back at you. And so you really, that happens when they're young, right? And then they're still trying to understand uh, what it means to win, what it means to be part of a team, uh, not place blame on who did what or what did not happen. For instance, you have a game winning Somebody makes a game-winning shot in basketball. Uh, they'll get all the glory because they made the shot. Well, understand that if that was a last-second shot that you made to win the game, you also had 39 minutes, 59 seconds 
of action that happened prior that could have put you in a position to never have to make a game-winning shot. Um, so, but we always focus on that last one. I don't know. That's that. It really resonates for me. I mean, I think about my involvement in youth sports a lot, and I think you know, probably the thing that I take away the most from it is you know, the ability to work with others, cooperate, but it's also the ability to deal with failure. And it's something that I think I've struggled with as I've gotten older, and you have to learn these lessons, you know, sometimes the hard way. But just because you've realized you made a mistake, you might not change your behavior, right? I mean, how do you reinforce, you know, when an athlete, let's say, misses a block, right? I mean, I mean, is it just as simple as pointing it out to them? Is it is it the oh, you know, kind of habitual, like you, you want to make sure that they're they're always doing. I mean, what goes into that when you know uh, maybe an individual player makes a mistake? How does a, a coach approach that issue in a way that you know both? obviously points out their mistakes so they can remedy it, but then uplift them, up, uplifts them and motivates them to do better. Right. Which you, it's a, it's a really good question because we can all, we're all good at pointing things out. Uh, the fans are great at it. Everybody's great at it, right? <laughs> right. Even as parents, sometimes you can, you know what your, your, your child might've done wrong. I think what a coach really has to do certainly is point it out, but, but then that's where the, you can point it out, but the teaching happens after that. Understand, try to get to the point of why did that happen? If it continues to happen, then that now, and that's a matter of practice and getting if you're if it's a skill set that they just don't understand maybe in some cases they don't have the physical ability to actually do that as quick as maybe somebody else does but that's where the practice and the training comes in and and certainly uh, you've got to do it in a way that does not necessarily tear somebody down you know there's always a right way and a wrong way to do something but it also depends on the perspective of who's evaluating that too so uh, a lot of that it really comes down to let's say in the sport of football it's going to be film work film film work, film work, but then that has to bleed over into practice. And I always think that you're going to practice how you play. If you practice kind of lazy, then you're going to play lazy. If you practice fast, and if for football for us, let's say, it's a very high-paced practice. It's go, 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 because that's how we play. And so uh, I do think you'll practice how you play. And if those mistakes continue to happen, that's what you've got to work on in practice if you want to continue to see any improvement. You know, a lot of this just comes down to focus. And I think that maybe kind of rounds us back to to a little bit of a conclusion for our conversation today. It's obviously D-Day week. Um, there's a lot going on from the parades and the, and the rallies. I mean, how do you make sure that student athletes, you know, have fun, uh, get to enjoy, you know, the, the experience that other students get to enjoy, but also, you know, focus in on the task at hand which is winning a big football game on Saturday. You know what? That's tough. I mean, they're 18 to 22 years old, and they want to be a student, right? And, you know, we'll have volleyball playing on Friday night and Sunday, and they want to enjoy D-Days, but they can't because they're in season. We've done, I think, a good job with our student-athletes educating them on the – uh, the perils of maybe, you know, let's say it's drinking, it's other things. They, they're still adults and can make the decisions on their own. But I think for the most part, they value what it is that they mean uh, and their teams. Now, that being said, it doesn't mean that, you know, students are going to be students and it's D-Days. It's always important, and I think our coaches do a good job. The most important game they all have is the next one. And mm-hmm. so while D-Days is big and you want to <laughs> win D-Days, it's still a game. And you've got to put all of your focus and your attention on the game, not necessarily what's surrounding the game. Well, I want to put you on the spot here. Uh, how do you, what do you think we're going to see in this game um, here on Saturday? You know, I think Missouri State is a much improved team. And what I know about our team is our team will continue to improve as the year goes on. Each game, 
you'll find us getting a little bit better. We'll make mistakes, but I think they'll make the adjustments, both coaches from a scheme and a game plan standpoint, but our players get better. I'm always I'm always bad at giving trying to tell you what I think the outcome of the game is going to be because I think we're going to win them all. I think you have to be an optimist. I really think you have to go into each game expecting to win and understanding that failure is an option. But you, if you go in there hoping to win or hoping not to lose, well, you've lost half the battle. So to me, we're going to win on Saturday. No, I think that's probably a, a good way to end our conversation about uh, you know championship culture. Be confident. Um, let's go out there and cheer on the Oats. Thank you very much, David, for joining us today. Thanks, Michael. Thank you for listening to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. Listening is 100% of the grade, so we hope you enjoyed the episode. Next week, we interview Jean Quictusi and her son, Neil Ambrose Smith, two of the most acclaimed Native American artists living today. Until next time, go Yotes.